epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. When we experience pain, it begins as an acute process. It might be an ankle sprain, arm fracture, or due to surgery. The intensity varies and can last for weeks or a couple of months. Unrelieved acute pain can adversely affect our health, quality of life, and develop into chronic pain. In fact, chronic post-surgical pain affects up to 50% of adults. Hoping to better manage acute pain by targeting more than one pain pathway, guidelines suggest using multimodal analgesia, that is, using more than one medication or technique for pain relief. Adding to the armamentaria against acute pain, a unique oral medication offering multimodal analgesia is on the market. It's called Siglentis and contains tramadol, a weak opioid, and celecoxib, an anti-inflammatory. Our guest today is Dr. Oscar de Leon Casasola. He's the Senior Vice Chair and Professor of Anesthesiology and Medicine at the University of Buffalo School of Medicine. We'll talk to him about state-of-the-art methods of treating acute pain, multimodal analgesia, and how to best use this unique medication called Siglentis for reducing pain. Aches and Gains is supported by the Institute for Continued Healthcare Education, Daiichi Sankyo, and COA Pharmaceuticals. Dr. Oscar de Leon Castasola is also the Chief of Pain Medicine and Professor of Oncology at Roswell Park Cancer Institute. Dr. de Leon Castasola, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you very much, Paul. It's uh, been uh, quite some time. It's a pleasure to talk to you again. And you as well. Let's first talk about acute pain. What exactly is it? Acute pain is what uh, human beings sense after there has been an injury at the peripheral level. It may occur after surgery, or it may occur after a uh, traumatic injury. Right, and it's usually sudden and time-limited. That is, it lasts less than one month, according to the Centers for Disease Control, or somewhere less than three months, according to other studies. For many patients, acute pain peaks at about one to three days after an injury or surgery, and should be much less in intensity by about seven days. Oscar, Talk to us about visceral pain, because that can be acute as well. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Uh, the most frequent one will be a German term for Mittelschmerze, which is uh, intermenstrual pain, which uh, occurs during ovulation. So these are, are classic uh, examples of uh, acute pain that are not necessarily associated with uh, traumatic injury or uh, with uh, surgery, obviously. And another example of visceral pain that can be really grueling is kidney stone pain. Now, Oscar, at a basic level, how do we sense this type of acute pain? A mechanical, that is to say, physical, thermal, or inflammatory injury has to be converted into an electrical one, right? 
so that it can be conducted through the peripheral nerves into the spinal cord and then central nervous system. Exactly. So acute pain is caused by a combination of some type of tissue trauma, could be surgical, could be a burn, for example, inflammation, and then direct nerve injury, could be that the nerve is transected or stretched or compressed. Impulses are sent from the area of tissue injury all the way over to the spinal cord, where they ascend the spinal cord to an area of the brain called the thalamus. And from the thalamus, those signals then are transmitted to the somatosensory cortex, which is where those signals are interpreted as painful. But also uh, the limbic system, it is critically important, which will give the uh, affective component of the pain. This is where uh, changes in sleep patterns and uh, depression and uh, changes of that nature with behavior may occur as well. So it's also equally important. Absolutely right, and thanks for mentioning that. Now, Oscar, if we think of the pathway that pain travels along the nerves from the site of injury to the spinal cord and then up the spinal cord to the brain, there are several areas that we can target for pain relief using medications. Let's talk about some of these medications and where they work. And I'm thinking of things like uh, local anesthetics, such as lidocaine, acetaminophen, also known as Tylenol, and the anti-inflammatories, like ibuprofen. Uh, Acetaminophen, uh, for the longest time, we didn't know how it worked. We had a lot of theories. Uh, Now we know that it doesn't work uh, exclusively at the peripheral level. It appears that it's a prodrug that has to be uh, converted into a cannabinoid. So uh, cannabinoid receptors are, uh, are involved that at the central level, and uh, there appears to be also a uh, vaniloid receptor activation. Mm -hmm. And the vaniloid receptor exists on peripheral pain fibers and transmit pain signals from the periphery, that is from the specific pain-sensing nerves in the arms or the legs, for example, all the way to the spinal cord and then to the brain. And Oscar, talk to us now about local anesthetics, like lidocaine. And then the local anesthetics if administered at the site of the injury, in the case of a surgery, they will limit transmission of these impulses. If used through a peripheral nerve catheter, through spinal anesthetics, or uh, through epidural uh, analgesia uh, techniques, they can block uh, both transmission and conduction of these impulses. So yes, these local anesthetics uh, are an integral part of what we should be doing to treat acute postoperative pain. That's right. Now let's talk about the opioids. Now they inhibit pain transmission from the spinal cord to the brain. And guess what? They also inhibit pain perception in the brain in that somatosensory cortex that we talked about earlier. In terms of opioid utilization, um, you will have, and this is a little bit technical, but uh, an effect at the presynaptic and postsynaptic level. So that is important to recognize and that's why intraspinally administered opiates are more effective than intravenous or orally administered opiates because they work at the supraspinal level and uh, that is to say uh, beyond the spinal cord and they are modulators so when when you look at the efficacy of opiates in terms of relieving pain you have intraspinal opiates with the strongest effect followed by intravenous opiates because of that modulatory effect at the uh, supraspinal levels. And then oral opioids last because of, uh, you know, the amount of uh, absorption 
and distribution that may occur after that administration. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the data on treating acute pain comes from research on post-operative pain and acute musculoskeletal pain, like sprains and strains, for example. Nevertheless, the strategies for acute pain can be used for many general acute pain conditions, like fractures, headache, dental pain, for example. Now, we've typically relied on opioids for acute perioperative pain, but a better approach seems to be the use of multimodal analgesia. Oscar, tell us what those words mean. As you alluded to, Paul, we now recognize there are various receptors and uh, conduction pathways and transmission pathways in this continuum that expresses uh, pain. Multimodal analgesia takes advantage of that and basically is the utilization of two or more medications that have a different mechanism of action which are used at the same time so that hopefully you will have better pain control at lower doses and because you're using lower doses of each one of these components then you hopefully will have a lower incidence of side effects. And that's a positive thing. Very positive. In fact, this is a key concept and guiding principle for perioperative pain, and it's applicable to other types of acute pain as well. When we get back from the break, we'll ask Dr. DeLeon Casasola about treating acute pain in general with multimodal analgesic techniques. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by the Institute for Continued Healthcare Education and by an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. We're here discussing acute pain and multimodal analgesia with Dr. Oscar de Leon Casasola. He's the chief of pain medicine and professor of oncology at Roswell Park Cancer Institute. Oscar, you know, I've seen an emphasis on using this multimodal analgesic approach for treating acute pain in general, not just perioperative pain. I mean, we can use non-pharmacologic measures like like nerve blocks, acupuncture, uh, mindfulness, self-hypnosis, and massage, for example. What's your experience with these things? Yeah, and, and you know, that is a very important concept because do you have non-opioid pharmacological options that should be implemented first? For instance, ice. Mm-hmm. So if you have a sprain, you can apply ice uh, to the area, and that will be a very good alternative as a first step for uh, menstrual cramps and the intermenstrual pain, uh, you can use a heating pad. Right. Uh, acupuncture has been tried, and uh, the literature is, is not conclusive about that. That is yet uh, uh, an alternative for the treatment of pain. And we talked about headaches, right? Yeah. They are uh, very inexpensive uh, uh, devices, uh, supraorbital nerve stimulators, vagal nerve stimulators, uh, that you can get acute low back pain, uh, TENS units, are uh, uh, extremely useful, again, uh, $30, $35 for a unit. Exactly. Now, for patients having surgery, how would you implement multimodal analgesia? I mean, for instance, uh, have the surgeon inject local anesthetic into the surgical site. Uh, We might then offer an epidural anesthetic, or we may run an intravenous infusion uh, with ketamine, for example, intraoperatively. That would be a good example. I would add to the intravenous administration uh, a lidocaine. If you use intravenous lidocaine in patients who had gastrointestinal surgery, mm-hmm. the uh, 
recovery of ileus, that is to say, the inability for a patient to move uh, the bowel, and as a result of that, you know, delaying the release from the hospital, mm -hmm. you know, will be the same as uh, a thoracic epidural with a local anesthetic. Uh, the use of tap blocks, that is a special block that is placed on the lateral portion of uh, the abdomens, and then local anesthetics administered through uh, a special pump, and can also be used for that purpose. So, you know, the use of personalized medicine is, is a wonderful alternative to get you where you want to be with the patient with the least amount of side effects. That's right. You mentioned personalized medicine, which essentially means that one size does not fit all when it comes to perioperative pain care or postoperative pain care. You also mentioned the TAP block, T-A-P, transversus abdominis plane block, that is used for postoperative pain control after abdominal surgeries. Now, Oscar, would, would you recommend that patients ask their surgeon or anesthesiologist about performing multimodal analgesia when they have surgery? Absolutely. That is something that I think should be the standard of care for this century. Wow, I mean, that's pretty powerful. And does the research indicate that multimodal analgesia provides better pain relief? Yes, it does. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, Oscar, let me ask you, you know, the CDC and the U.S. Health and Human Services Pain Management Task Force have emphasized the need to reduce an overall reliance on opioids. This is done to reduce the risk of prescription opioid overdose, death, and the development of an opioid use disorder. Yet, studies report that something like 85-86% of patients experience post-surgical pain, and, you know, 75% report it as moderate to extreme in the immediate post-operative period. Do you feel that we're underutilizing opioids for post-operative pain? The visual analog pain scales may not adequately evaluate the whole experience of pain in these patients. And one has to be careful with these statistics that have relied on pain scores mm -hmm. to you know, determine the prevalence of inappropriate pain control or inadequate pain control. Right. Going back to your statement, you say CDC and U.S. Health and uh, Human Services Pain Management Task Force recommendations, our recommendations, you know, the, the guidelines, multi-society guidelines. You know, we all say reduce opioid use. We never said avoid them mm -hmm. because I think that the data also shows that by you avoiding opioids, you create, you know, a different set of concerns and may not benefit the patient that you want uh, to benefit. Now, the big elephant in the room, Paul, is the patient with a history of opioid use disorder. These patients come, and more frequently than not, will tell you no opiates whatsoever. I don't want to go through that. Sure. I just had two weeks ago a patient's wife who was having inadequate pain control, and we offered the different alternatives, and the lady said, no opiates, please. If you give them opiates, you can keep them because I'm not going through that again. <laughs> All these multimodal agents can actually provide adequate control in some patients without the use of opiates. But, uh, uh, you know, that's an extreme situation, right? And I hope your audience understands that. But for the most part, if you implement these therapies 
and you just use a little bit of opiates to top it off, mm-hmm. then uh, we will be in a, in a good space. You know, one of the reasons for the revised 2022 CDC opioid guideline was to ensure that opioids be used appropriately rather than withheld altogether. We don't have to unsuccessfully try all non-opioid or non-pharmacological therapies before offering opioids. Do you feel that surgeons provide adequate pain control with opioids, or are they avoiding them? It all depends. Uh, Now the states have jumped in to limit the amount of days that uh, uh, surgeons can prescribe opioids once the patient is released from the hospital. Mm -hmm. In New York, uh, it is seven days. In Florida, it is three days. Wow. So that is not to say that the patient, you know, cannot receive a refill of this opioid medication should this be needed, but an evaluation has to take place. Then, you know, we have data that eight patients out of 100 that receive or used to receive opiates in an indiscriminate way uh, prior to these regulations uh, will still be using opiates after one year for not clear reasons. Yeah. So I think that is a good thing. A, a continuous evaluation, personalized medicine, is critically important to determine who needs it and who doesn't need it as opposed to a shotgun approach, right? Yes, individualized care, I think, is important. A major response to the opioid epidemic has been an emphasis on avoiding opioids in the perioperative period, that is, before, during, or after surgery. Uh, Oscar, can we rely on epidurals, spinals, intravenous infusions, or nerve blocks as the only anesthetic? Yes, you can, but it is labor-intensive, but it can be done. I think there are situations when we can use regional anesthesia as the primary anesthetic, making intraoperative opioids unnecessary. But I've also read that there's no convincing evidence that avoiding opioids, when indicated, benefits outcomes. That is correct. Absolutely. There is this very well-known study where they utilize you know, a combination of intravenous medications. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had to stop the study wow. because the incidence of pain was higher in this uh, restrictive opiate protocol than in those who received judicious uh, multimodal therapy that included opiates. Mm-hmm. So there are bad outcomes related to uh, fanatic <laughs> <laughs> uh, approach to post-operative pain management without opiates, right? Right, and I think that that could be evidence that if we avoid opioids when they're needed, when they're indicated, it can lead to bad outcomes. Up next, we'll talk about a unique multimodal pill for acute pain called Seglentis. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by an educational grant from COA Pharmaceuticals America, Incorporated. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. And we're back. One of the fears of acute post-operative pain is the risk of developing chronic pain. And the risk ranges somewhere around 10% all the way up to 60%. We've also been talking about guidelines recommending multimodal treatment for acute pain. Oscar, let's talk about this unique medication called Seglentis. What makes it multimodal? Well, uh, Seglentis is the combination of two agents, tramadol and uh, Mm -hmm. in uh, one single pill. The advantage is 
that the patient doesn't have to be taking both of them uh, in a separate fashion, but it comes in one single pill. Okay, so tramadol is considered a weak opioid, technically a weak mu opioid agonist. Uh, it has less abuse potential than what are called full mu agonists. Those are medications like oxycodone, for example, or morphine. It also has a, another unique mechanism of action. It increases levels of serotonin and norepinephrine in the spinal cord. When it does that, it enhances our ability to suppress pain. And in addition to that, it also reduces pain perception in the brain. Celecoxib, also known as Celebrex, is considered an anti-inflammatory medication. Now, Oscar, uh, talk about the co-crystal technology of this particular molecule, this medication. This multiple mechanism of action has been exploited as a way to provide patients with better pain control. Uh -huh. In addition to that, the company that is based in Barcelona, Spain, uh, use a co-crystal technology. The co-crystal is a uh, physical chemical state which allows the modification of the two molecules in a way that release will be controlled and that they will enhance the analgesic effects. Okay, so it's FDA approved for the management of acute pain in adults that's severe enough to require an opioid analgesic and when alternative treatments are inadequate. Now, Oscar, this can be used, it seems like, for post-operative pain, uh, in the emergency room, or in primary care settings. Yeah, physicians have the uh, liberty to utilize it in other pain conditions, yes, and it should work appropriately. And have you and your colleagues used it? Yes. It is supplied in a 100 milligram tablet that has 44 milligrams of tramadol and 56 milligrams of celecoxib. So the dose is two tablets every 12 hours. Okay. So that is a great advantage because you could take it uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning and 8 o'clock at night and uh, hopefully have adequate pain control. Is it the co-crystal technology that makes this medication sort of extended release? Correct. Yes. Yes. That's, that's what it is. Are you using this for a wide variety of surgeries postoperatively? I have to tell you, Paul, I participated in, as an advisory to the company when they were taking this to the FDA. And uh, I am part of the group that published the study for uh, the, the results in bonionectomy. Mm -hmm. So I have a conflict of interest in this regard. But uh, when I have used it, I, I have found it to be effective 24 hours after the initial uh, surgery procedure. What type of surgeries have you used it in? Orthopedic, plastic will be good indications. Well, you know, since this medication should be used when alternative treatments are inadequate, uh, what other treatments would you consider before Seglentis? You should consider Seglentis if the patient fail the acetaminophen NSAID protocol. Mm -hmm. That is an option in patients in whom we expect that the pain intensity will be higher and uh, combinations of acetaminophen and an NSAID will not do the job. Well, okay, then when exactly would you use Seglentis for traumatic injuries or for myofascial pain, for example? You wouldn't think of giving an opioid to a patient with myofascial pain, right? Right. You will use uh, heat and uh, tense units, uh, stretching exercises, mm -hmm. or, or, you know, ultrasound treatment for tendonitis. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful with what is the diagnosis and based on what the diagnosis is, you know, implement treatment. Exactly true. Now, up to this point in the show, we've talked about acute pain, 
acute pain pathways and this important concept of multimodal analgesia that applies to surgery as well as other acute pain conditions. And then we also talked about a unique multimodal pill called Seglentis that's used for acute pain in patients who have severe enough pain to require an opioid and when other alternative therapies have been inadequate. Oscar, it was a pleasure having you on the show today, and I look forward to talking to you again in part two, when we talk more about multimodal analgesic techniques, including pharmacological therapies and the potential use of cannabis for treating acute pain, as well as much more on Siglentis. It is my pleasure, Paul. Always a pleasure talking to you. And you as well. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Ty Ford. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.